Mike. Lauren. Mike, if you happen to have been on the fence about getting a vaccine, what is the thing? What is the prize that would have pushed you to get one? Uh, I think maybe like a dozen donuts. That's it? Yeah, sure. I thought you were going to say a million bucks. Yeah, okay, yeah, a million bucks. All right, well, I guess you're a simple guy. Donuts will do it for you. And it turns out donuts might do it for a lot of people, which is what we're going to talk about today. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. And I'm Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. Why does it say a senior editor at Wired? <laughs> what is that? Did I miss the joke? No, that was me. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, moving on. For the second week in a row, that laughter you hear is from Wired senior correspondent Adam Rogers. We had Adam on last week to talk about his new book, which is all about color. It's super cool. It's super nerdy, which is what we love here on Gadget Lab. So I recommend that after you listen to this pod, you go listen to that one. Uh, but we're very happy to have Adam back on this week to talk about vaccine lotteries. Hey, Adam. Hello. I'm glad to be back. It's a lot of a lot of us seniors chatting about <laughs> two weeks in a row, just oh, seniors. Dear. Yeah, apparently I'm also a geriatric <laughs> millennial now. So that's really fun. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, Adam, you wrote a story about this on Wired.com this week. It all started in Ohio, where the governor announced that any resident who's gotten at least one dose of the COVID-19 vaccine would automatically be entered into a lottery to win a million bucks. And then other states followed suit, right? California up to the ante. It's 1.5 million, where we all happen to be in California. Um, West Virginia is giving away money and trucks and guns, which is so West Virginia. Now private companies like United Airlines and CVS are also getting into the game. It's all an effort to entice more people to get vaccinated. But our question is, is this going to work, right? Would a slight chance of winning a load of money actually convince holdouts to get their vaccine? So Adam, based on your reporting thus far, how much do vaccine lotteries really influence people's behavior? A, a, a lot more than I expected when I started. Um, I, I will admit, I went into this with one hypothesis and it, and it was falsified. Um, but just as a little, as, as background, um, the, in, the United States is doing, in, in, by some measures, very well in getting people vaccinated. I think it's like 75% of people over some age are, are, have two shots and it's like getting close in some places, like in California, I think it's 50% of people have, who are all of the right age have both. Different states are doing better or worse, depending on the politics of that state and what's going on there. But the overall numbers are going down. The overall numbers of people who are getting vaccinated are on the on the downslope. And that's especially true. It's truer in some states than others. So what do you do about that? And the question is like, well, what, what what's going on? Why are people not going to get their shot? Especially because unlike most of the rest of the world, at this point, it's very easy to do for most people in the United States, which is to say that the lines aren't that aren't long anymore and the, the, the websites aren't insane anymore, whatever. Um, and so you start to partition people into different groups, right? You start to say, well, there's, there's people who just like really hate vaccines, right? There's the anti-vaxxers and they're not convincible. And then there's the people who, like me, ran out there who were like, you know, waiting in line for hours like, a, like it was a new Star Wars movie. But in the middle... <laughs> What can I say? So who are these people in the middle? What does it take to convince them? And that's where you get into the questions of marketing, behavioral economics, stuff like that. 
I would have said, well, listen, well, here's what would be fair. Let's just tell people there's a reward when you come in. Just come in and here's a hundred bucks, right? Something that's like, that's that's material to me. Somebody gives me a hundred dollars to do something. Well, that, that has solved my weekend, you know, or whatever. That's that's some food for a family or something. Um, but it turns out that that's actually not the, the right way. That works on some people, the dozen donuts works on some folks, the free beers that some places are giving away, that kind of stuff. But you actually got to go, if you'll pardon the use of this dumb joke, from donuts to dollars. What you need to do, it turns out, is to nudge people into doing a behavior that they kind of don't want to do and kind of don't care, but is good for society and probably good for them too, is, um, and I talked to Richard Thaler, who's one of the co-authors of this very influential book on this idea, Richard Thaler and Cass Sunstein wrote this book called Nudge. You want to make it easy, which different places are getting there with that, and make it fun. And one of the ways that you can make something fun is to promise people the chance at a life-changing award if they get it. And people really overvalue the chance of that versus what they're going to, because nobody's going to win. I mean, some people win. These are real things. People win them. But but in the grand scheme of things, just like with a regular lottery, like almost nobody wins, right? One person, you know, millions of people don't. But the, the, the idea, the entertainment of the idea that you could win this life-changing prize becomes motivational. And in fact, in the place that's released data, the state of Ohio is actually giving out some data, they were going down by 25% week on week of vaccines. And as soon as they announced, they started going up by twice that number. They, they N-shaped their curve. That's so strange. And, you know, I would also expect the inverse to be true. But it, it works out that the guarantee of some relatively small amount of money, like $50 or $100, is far less powerful than the very, very slim chance of a huge payout in the millions. Uh, what's the behavioral science behind that? Well, so I, I asked Richard Thaler about that, and he pointed me to first to the inverse, which is a, a very famous paper in economics um, called A Fine is a Price. And the idea of that was that if you, if you fine people for a bad behavior, that doesn't actually keep them from doing that bad behavior because then they just build that in as the cost of doing business. And you, you see that in the paper, the example is famously like to pay, making people pay money for being late to pick up their kids from daycare. Like, well, you're going to pay $50 an hour to do that. But if you're going to be late, you're like, okay, well, now I know. It cost me $50. I can stay in the meeting or I can ignore my children or whatever the whatever your reasoning is for not being able to go pick them up from daycare. Now you know how much that costs. It has a price. And so the inverse of that in this case is, okay, well, if I know that the vaccine is a $50 thing, well, that's actually not worth my time or that doesn't move me off the mark, you know. Um, and I put in a joke in the story about charging, you know, $5 for a year subscription to Wired. If that's what people value Wired at, maybe we, maybe we want them to think it's worth, maybe we want people to think our work is worth more than that. You know what I mean? Um, hypothetically again. But if you tell people that the value, essentially the value of this is like a million dollars, you could win a million dollars for it. That's a, that gives it a higher, higher price in a sense. There's other stuff going on here too. Like if, if the reason that you're hesitant is that you're very concerned about side effects, both the, the, you know, some of the very, very rare but real ones that people have talked about um, in the press and I've written about, or the stuff that's not real and it's just crazy pants stuff, you know, the 5G chips or whatever nonsense. Like if you're worried about that kind of thing, then that's, the, that's a cost, right, of getting a vaccine. And you have to weigh that against the benefit of not getting a potentially fatal disease and not giving it to other people, which you would think would be enough. But it turns out is actually not the way people do this valuation, whether consciously or unconsciously. I just want to mention for those of you who are considering subscribing to Wired, I have a URL I can send to you for 50% off. Shameless plug. My DMs are open on Twitter. Happy to get you to subscribe. Um, okay. So, Adam, is there a relationship 
between the people who believe they have a chance of winning a lottery, no matter how slim the chances, and those people also concurrently believing that there could be negative impact, such as, well, like, you know, during the height of the coronavirus pandemic, is that the same kind of personality that believes they could get the worst of COVID-19 or with getting the vaccine could potentially have the negative side effects. Like I'm wondering if people who think that they are subject to particularly good fortune also tend to believe that they could, you know, suffer the impact of bad fortune. You know, it's a good question. I I didn't, I didn't ask about that. I I know that there is this thing where people, there's a, there's, there's a sense among behavioral economists and among some public health folks as well, that the people who were, who didn't get vaccinated, who aren't super anti-vaxxer or super hesitant, who are just like, eh, I'm probably going to be fine, are the kind of people who, who generally don't think the bad thing is going to happen to them in the future about all, all kinds of stuff. Um, and, and one place that people see this, for example, is in, is in saving money, is in finances. The, the consultant who helped design the Oregon program actually is a, he's a, a management scientist and, and does economics work at Stanford as well. And he founded this, a bank called Long Game Savings. And what they do is they sort of gamify savings. So they're like, if you save more money, you get entered into a lottery just like this. And it, he, and for him, like it really works. That improves like by 40% or something, the number of people who will save money, trying to get people to do stuff that's good for them, but they, but they don't otherwise feel motivated to do because it's off far off in the future. And it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't make sense to them to do. So you have to kind of play a game here, put them into the game in the same way that, that entering them into what's an, what is an opt out lottery for when you get vaccinated, not opt in, right? Opt, opt in people tend not to do as much. Um, but as soon as you make like as soon as you make saving for retirement opt out, ninety percent of people do it. It's like, oh, I already did it. it. Made it easy, just like Thaler and Sunstein said. It makes it easy. So these are opt out lotteries. When you get vaccinated, even like I, I, in California, I got vaccinated before the lottery thing started by like a month. Mm-hmm. But um, but I'm entered anyway. You know, like I'm still in it. All of us are. All of us Californians mm-hmm. are in it if we get vaccinated because that makes sure that you're in it. And what you want to make sure that you do then at that point also is show other people winning. You set up a regret lottery because people get fear of missing out. They go, oh, I can see that somebody I know or somebody who lives near me or whatever actually won. I know this is a real, a real Oh, regret lottery. Is that, is that why, okay, so in California, we're also giving away 2 million gift cards, right? They're 50 bucks a piece. They work at grocery stores. That's in addition to the prizes that are like a million and a half dollars and $50,000. So is, is that why they give both large prizes and small prizes? So you actually see people that you may know winning? Well, it's a little bit different, right? The the giveaway that everyone can get, the, well, the, I guess the $50 cards are prizes too, right? Not everybody gets one of those. So yes, that's why. You want to have those prizes out there. So you're like, oh, somebody did win. That's amazing. You know, like, yeah. And, and you, you can do it like every, there's one going to be one winner in every zip code would be another way to do it, just guarantee that the drawing goes to every zip code. Yes, so you do the small prizes so people can see that it actually happens. Um, and then they think they have a better chance. They don't, of course. Like, I mean, the, the chance of winning is really, really, really small. Um, but this is a thing that hyper-rational economists have never understood about lotteries either. They, well, why would you play a lottery when you, know, you pay $3 for a lotto card and the value, the expected value in the parlance of the game here, the expected value is very low. The expected value of that is less than the paper is printed on, quite literally because your chances of winning are one in you know, 100 million or something like that. But but people overvalue the expected value if there's a chance of a life-changing win at the other end of it. We do have to go to break shortly, but I want to ask you one more question, which is how much of this is, is marketing in effect or just getting the conversation going about vaccines? And I happened to be in the state of Connecticut a few weeks ago when the state opened up 
for lack of a better term, right? It was May 19th, and that's when businesses were going to be fully open, and people could remove masks if they chose to. And I happened to be there for that. And it was like this really kind of interesting experience to see whose, you know, psychology sort of like, some people just flipped a switch. Um, But there was a lot of conversation going on about vaccines, about safety. And during that time, the state of Connecticut rolled out an initiative to give people a free drink alcoholic or otherwise at participating restaurants if you showed your vaccine card. Um, and I and I noticed and I happened to be around mostly people who were vaccinated, though some were not. And it was just people were talking about it. They were just talking about the fact that this was an incentive, um, which made me wonder, like, I wonder if this is it's just that people are going to the more it enters the conversation stream, the more likely it is that people would actually go get it done. Yeah, a ton. And and, um, and in a positive way, too. It's all the, the talk that people have about it is positive for, for once, you know, it's to talk about something about this pandemic in, the, in a good way. It's like, that's amazing, right? Which hasn't happened, it feels like, in a year and a half. Uh, so I have two pieces of evidence that, that say that you're right about that. One of them is what the spokesperson for the governor of the state of Ohio told me, which is that for the cost of the lottery the Maximilian, as they call it in Ohio, nice. um, uh, which was which ends up being something like five point six million dollars because like five million dollar prizes, and then they're also doing scholarships for kids to the tune of about six hundred thousand. For that amount of money, they got by their calculations over twenty eight million dollars worth of free media, so of coverage on TV and in newspapers and on radio and places like Wired, where I wrote about them. Right? The, the free media, so they so they they five x they more than five x their dollars to market the fact that there was a vaccine that people should get. Um, so that's and th- that's what that money was for was for vaccine marketing for public health. So that worked. And then the other example of why this is really good marketing is what happened at United Airlines. And I can tell you more about that if you want after the break. That sounds great. We'll be right back. So, Adam, tell us how we've landed in a position where we're now suddenly praising the airlines. I know. I know. <laughs> Sitting there going like, oh, United's awesome. Like, have you? Right. It's because it's been so long since I've flown. I don't remember. Yeah, I know. It's like if you ever followed Walt Mossberg on Twitter, you've known for the past several years that United is absolutely not awesome. But please continue. Uh, so, right. Um, what happened at United in the in the, in the telling of um, a vice president of marketing there who runs Mileage Plus, which is their frequent flyer program, um, is that they wanted to do a bunch of things. They wanted to encourage vaccination because it's good for the world. They wanted to get people back to flying because that's good for United because that's what they do there. Um, and they and they wanted to figure out a way that like an economical and marketing way to encourage that that return and build loyalty and increase customers, do all the things corporations want to do. Um, and so they, they had a bunch of meetings and what they started to circle around was the idea of like, let's just give people some frequent flyer miles. Let's give them, you know, whatever, 2,000, 5,000 mileage plus points if they fly again, if they come back. And the marketing side, um, with Luke Bondar, who's the vice president who I talked to, the marketing side kind of rushed in there. We're like, eh, that's not what marketing says. Don't do that. Don't do that for a, for a bunch of reasons. So some of those reasons are you're trying to build uh, not just build loyalty, but start new relationships. They, you know, we get new customers, right? That's what that means in, in, in real English, not marketing English. And so to, you know, to do that, like, so that means you, you want people to join mileage plus, but just giving them points, that's not so great. And then from an economic perspective, it's not so great for the company either because mileage plus points uh, don't ever expire. That was one of the changes they made at that program because they felt like that you want to build a loyalty program. Having an expire actually doesn't build loyalty. That makes sense to me. But because they don't expire, if you give everybody who buy, if you give every mileage plus 
person and also everybody who buys a new ticket on United and signs up 5,000 points, then that's like you gave those that money out there it becomes a liability that's just hanging out there forever. And you never know when people are going to use it so that you can't like you can't plan you that costs you money. But if you spend what's relatively a small amount of money for the company to build that again, that life changing possibility of a reward in this case, like the grand prize in their sweepstakes is I think a year of travel for two in first class, which like, again, if you have flown, like that's pretty life changing, man, like that first class is nice, right? You Does put that, that count for cats and dogs? <laughs> can you bring a carrier, right? Yes. Um, can they have I, the other first class seat? As far as I can tell, you can do whatever you want in first okay. class. I think that's how that works. The cat can fly by itself and they have to give it they have to give it warm nuts. Um, so that, that becomes something that people go, oh my goodness, that's really, then people see it. Then it has the same effect that the big money lotteries have in, in the States. And, and according to the numbers that Bondar told me, they saw, uh, 400,000 people. So you have to upload your vaccine card. I mean, you have to prove that you got vaccinated, but, uh, like 400,000 people did that a hundred thousand new mileage plus, um, members. And he hadn't done the math yet. But he was going to go back and look and see when they got vaccinated to see if it was since the contest, the sweepstakes was announced, because then you would kind of be able to say, like, yeah, they did it because we gave him this announcement. So they're they're pulling the FOMO lever, right? Like right. a year you get to travel first class wherever you want you and a guest for a year like that's that's like a can you imagine you know people start like immediately thinking in their heads all the places they would go um but you know an airline is in a unique position to do something like this because they can offer that that sort of fomo experience um have you seen other companies that have had the ability to generate that much fomo i mean not that i've seen have you have, have you seen other folks doing that i haven't uh like, like any any company could, right? Yeah, but you know, it, it would it would be different if it was like a year of Taco Bell burritos or like a year <laughs> of free bowling. You know, it's like it's hard to to generate. That's that true. Who, who controls those sorts of experiences? But then again, so but let me let me invert that and say like, okay, well, I mean, Apple could say, here's the you know top line iPad. I mean, they they got a lot of those lying around. Like, yeah. okay, show your vaccine card. When next time you come to the Apple store, we're going to give away one in every zip code of the United States. Super Bowl right. tickets. Super Bowl tickets. World sure. Series tickets. All expenses paid trip to the World Series. And I, my hypothesis, now I was wrong initially. Like I said, I thought that if you just give people 50 bucks, that would help. And in fact, it's a lottery thing. So my hypotheses are clearly totally incorrect in far, as far as behavioral economics goes. But like, you know, any... Experience, like the experiential things seem to me to be even more like I overvalue the experiential things even more than the money um, in my head. And maybe that's just because I'm, I'm living a life of privilege at this point. But like if you could do that, you say like, yeah, you know, we're going to get like here, we're a trip to the World Series. We're Major League Baseball. Next time you come to a ballpark, show your vaccine card and you're entered into the lottery for all expenses paid trip for four to the World Series. Disneyland. Well, what's interesting like about Disney that is that it shows that our our capacity to evaluate risk really is fairly poor because not only do you, we tend to inflate our chances of potentially winning something like that in a lottery, but we also still don't have a ton of certainty around events, right? We're sort of operating under the assumption right now that all of these things are just, they've started to open up and they will remain opened up. When in reality, we don't know what fall or winter 2021 is going to bring. We don't know what's going to happen. Sorry to be dark guys, but like, we don't know what's going to happen in the future, if there are other pathogens that emerge, right? And so it's amazing how much like we're so kind of willing, I think we all want to deeply like accept these, these 
possibilities right now that like well, we're going to be flying again in the, you know for the near future but look at in some ways the, the the lottery thing is like this is a last resort this is the least best solution because the lottery is what you do when you don't want to have a vaccine mandate right we'd like to encourage people we want to encourage people to get vaccinated because because politically as a as a matter of policy it's seen as toxic to say no nobody gets on a united flight without a vaccine card you know, my colleague Mary McKenna has been writing about vaccine passports. And, and that's sort of what the meaning is like, no, nobody gets into a major league ballpark without proving you're vaccinated. Nobody gets back to work. Nobody comes into this skyscraper, all that stuff, right? We, the people people just hate that, you know, and the, and politicians and policymakers hate it even, even more potentially, because I think surveys show that most people like, the, you know, in the, it's in the 70 percent or something like, yeah, there should be vaccine mandates. I don't want to go into a supermarket not knowing, especially with my, you know, my under 12 year old kid who can't be vaccinated. And I don't know which of these people who doesn't have to wear a mask anymore is vaccinated and isn't. It's, it's less, it's more risky to, to my eye that, because, that the, my perception of risk is even worse now in some respects than it was. So what the, what the, what the nudges do, the behavioral nudges are an alternative to just saying like, no, you can't, you don't have to get vaccinated, but you can't come in any of these places if you're not, mm-hmm. um, which people just really aren't, or, or people are very uncomfortable with. Right. They don't respond well to generally. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the decision makers are uncomfortable with it. Like I said, I think, I think right. as a general matter, I think po- population-wise surveys say that pe- people, humans, are actually more comfortable with that than the decision makers are. So when you use prizes and cash to nudge somebody into doing something that they might not otherwise have done, uh, there must be ethical considerations, right? Yeah, there are. Um, and they come from a few different directions. So a granular one is is it ever okay to convince someone to do something they otherwise wouldn't do? And you know that's worth that's worth asking about, right? Um, and different cultures have different have different ideas on that. You could you could see the idea of the nudge in this case of the life changing lottery prize that you're probably not going to win as being fair, fairly, um, if not benevolent, at least neutral. You know that that's kind of banal in a way, depending on how you feel about gambling, I suppose. As you know, as a thing, some people see that as worse than others. But this doesn't hurt anyone. Except for the fact that you're changing their opinion, and so if you really want to ask questions about that, you got to ask questions about marketing and behavioral science in general, which I think are probably questions worth asking, right? Because at a certain level, nudges become dark patterns; they become the things that keep our attention on social media when we wouldn't otherwise be paying attention to them. Those are all nudges. The behavioral economics and behavioral science of why you keep staring at at your phone, right? I think we. We could probably agree, like, maybe is borderline, if not over the border, into being unethical. People wouldn't ordinarily do that. It's making, and you're making them do that so they'll look at ads, so they'll buy more stuff. Maybe that's bad. And this is, you know, this is from the same, this is the same, uh, the same class in dark arts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's exploiting then, something, some kind yeah, of behavior. That's right. And then at, at, a, at a at a bigger level, you could ask, well, maybe it's not ethical to use. Uh, this is this isn't exactly gamification, but it, it, it's kind of a, it, it exists in the same space as gamification in the sense that you're trying to make it more fun and, and give the, have there be points in the same way that when you're when the circles on your watch all come together or whatever, and that that's a sort of reward in itself. It exists in, in a similar space to that in terms of entertainment. Games are um, are, are are usually seen as being in something that has intrinsic rewards. The reward is just playing the game itself. They're the the word that um, Celia Hodent, who I talked to, who's a UX consultant and a psychologist, they're, they're autotelic. Um, you, you do them for them for their own sake. Um, saying that somebody can come to get vaccinated because they get entered into a lottery where they might win a million dollars, that's an extrinsic reward. It's extrinsic to the thing of getting vaccinated. 
And it's a different sort of nudge than just saying like, we're going to put small vaccine clinics in every mall and at every post office and in every bank and every place that people go. And then when you get there, there's somebody that's standing there saying like, oh, hey, you want to get vaccinated? And then people who would otherwise not have done it would be like, yeah, I guess so. Sure. Boing right in the shoulder um uh which which there's not the there aren't ethical issues there you're you're making it easier that's the make it easy part not the make it fun part particularly right um but in the so the question is is it ethical at all to like i'm going to use a fraught word here i don't mean it as bad as it'll sound is it ethical to pervert a game is it ethical to pervert something that's autotelic or should have intrinsic motivation and turn it into something that it's an ex, that's an extrinsic motivator. And I think the gamification people and, and the thinkers, the game theorists, have this fight a lot to use it to do this, to have these behavioral, put these behavioral controls in place. And arguably, the idea that there are scientists and government officials and policymakers thinking about how to control your behavior at all is kind of has a little, maybe that puts a shiver in people's spines too. I think it's actually, it happens all the time and that's how you govern a population. So get used to it. But, you know, maybe people see that as well too. So the, yes, there, that was a long answer to, I probably could have just said, yes, there are ethical implications, Michael. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so before I let you go, we should probably just make it clear for our listeners that getting vaccinated twice, like beyond the double shots that you're supposed to get with some of the vaccines, isn't going to increase your chances of winning a lottery, correct? That is that is correct. You only you get entered the one time. It also doesn't. I, I there is no science that says it also makes you like more super powered against the vaccine. Oh, I would okay. Al- I, I would also like, although I could. I don't. I don't think anybody's studied it. It's a good. It's actually a good question. Yeah, I've kind of had this vision of being like Chris Evans in Captain America, where like mm-hmm. you know before he goes in the tube and then afterwards, like if you get another dose, then maybe you'll just emerge like that. Just keep coming out. Keep coming. I out. also have dreams. I also have <laughs> dreams of being Chris Evans in Captain America. <laughs> We all have Chris Evan dreams. All right. Thanks again, Adam. Let's take another quick break. We'll be right back with recommendations. Adam, you first. What is your recommendation this week? Next week, a book comes out that I uh, was lucky enough to get an advanced look at called The Hidden Palace by a, a writer named Helene Wecker. It's a sequel to a book that came out a few years ago called The Golem and the Genie which is set in turn of the century, last uh, turn of the 1920th century New York, where a golem, which is like a, a Jewish mystical version of a Frankenstein monster, and a genie from Arab myth um, show up in the Lower East Side and uh, become friends. And it was really lovely. It's, it's a beautiful like historical fantasy with all kinds of magic and cool stuff. The sequel is, is, is out. Uh, Helene Wecker's Hidden Palace comes out next week, and I read it, and it's, it's just delightful. It's just a great terrific book that's awesome great recommendation snack fight what is yours all right so uh i had i had my first like hang with friends out of town this past weekend since the pandemic started we're all vaccinated so we all got together we went and slept at our friend's house we had other people come over uh i got roped into cooking breakfast and i remembered how amazingly versatile el pato is this is a tomato based hot sauce it's made in los angeles the company's been around for over 100 years it's called el pato because it has a picture of a duck on it comes in a yellow can and it is spicy and it can be used for absolutely anything you can use it to cook rice you can use it to cook potatoes uh you can use it to to make like a vegetable stew you can make chilaquiles you can put it on enchiladas you can just use it as a salsa on your tacos so if you like mexican food and you like uh spicy tomato-based sauces el pato is the king 
So that's my recommendation. As a bonus, uh, I'm also going to recommend that you read the story about this company that came out earlier this year. It was in Eater LA. Uh, and it's an LA-based company. It's family-owned, and they talk to the the guy who owns it and some of his staff and how they adapted to COVID and the fact that they're still rolling all these cans off the line. It's really amazing. El Pato, that's my recommendation. Nice. My new recommendation is to have Michael Calori make you breakfast. That's my Ooh. new recommendation. You're speaking my love language, my man. <laughs> Lauren, what's your recommendation? I have two recommendations this week. One is inspired by Galad Edelman, our sometimes contributor slash co-host on this show. And another one is inspired by a conversation that a group of women at Wired had yesterday. So the, my first, my Galad-like recommendation is sour cream with eggs. Um, if you haven't been doing this, you should have sour cream with your eggs. Wait, why, why, is, why is this inspired by Galad? I literally just talked about cooking breakfast. Oh, because, <laughs> sorry, Mike. Because it's dairy? Because, no, because Galad just likes combining things and announces them on the show as though it's a novel thing that he's combining. And sometimes it's a little weird, but for the most part, it's like, it's pretty normal stuff. And I feel like this is the same. Like lots of people have probably already been putting sour cream in their fried eggs and I'm just, or their scrambled eggs and I'm just new to it. And, but I like it. So I'm saying you should try it if you have not already. And I'm going to say it with like gustoing and confidence, like the way that Galad would. My second recommendation is a romper from Patagonia. And this is partly inspired by a conversation that I had with a group of women at Wired yesterday because we were all recommending some of our favorite products that we feel like have just kind of gotten us through this weird period or that we've really used a lot. And I have worn this romper, which is basically, it's a jumpsuit, um, so many times. I love it. I've now convinced like my sister-in-law to buy one and other friends have been like, where did you get that jumpsuit? Um, I have it in kale. Of course, it's called kale. Um, it's a really great lightweight material. It's really durable. I've worn it like you can wear it with sandals if you're going out at night because, yay, some of us can actually go out again. Um, but you, I've also worn it fly fishing because the bottoms are so lightweight. Um, I just kind of put like a long sleeve top over it and and it was like it was perfect for that. Um, yeah, it, it's wrinkle free. It's like pretty incredible and it's only $119. So I highly recommend the Women's Fleetwith Romper from Patagonia. Plus, Patagonia does free repairs on your goods if um, you happen to get a tear in them or something like that. So, yeah, I'm going to add that in the show notes. And thus began my career as an influencer. From fly fishing to a glamorous night on the town with Lauren Good. <laughs> That's right. I'm wearing it now. Oh, my gosh. I just looked in the Zoom. I'm like, I am actually... <laughs> I didn't realize I was wearing it now, but I am. <laughs> Uh, Seems like a nice romper. Sorry. Thanks. Thanks, Adam. All right. That's it for our show and my very, very lengthy recommendation. Thanks for humoring me. But mostly thanks to Adam Rogers for joining us again this week. It's my pleasure. I'm always happy to see y'all. And Snackfight, great seeing you as well. I can't wait to see you IRL soon. Yeah, totally. And, and we'll get to talk about Apple next week. So I'm excited about that. Yes. Next week is WWDC. It's Apple's annual software developers conference. It's usually jam-packed with news. This year, it feels like even more kind of important because there's a lot of scrutiny on Apple right now. It's coming on the heels of Apple's Epic trial with Epic, maker of Fortnite. And um, just a lot of people are paying attention to Apple's App Store policies right now. So we're going to be looking at that as well as all the updates that are coming to iOS, macOS, and every other platform that you might be using. So be sure to tune in next week for next week's Gadget Lab, where we're going to unpack WWDC. But for now, thanks for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes and have a great weekend. Oh, and the show is produced by the one and only Boone Ashworth. Give him a shout out. Bye for now.
Hi everyone, Michael from Gadget Lab here. I want to tell you about our friends over at The Big Take Podcast from Bloomberg News. Each weekday, they bring you one important story from their global newsroom, like how AI will upend your life, or why China's targeting the US dollar, and maybe how Joe Biden plans to take on Donald Trump. Oh boy. Check out The Big Take, a daily podcast from Bloomberg, wherever you listen.